The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Uh, and, and then, so I, I just started thumbing through it, and on one page there was some guy, I think his name was Frank, and he had all these things, and he was on retreat, and uh, about the therapist and all that, and then there was Margaret who had had some sort of terrible thing about therapy. No way, you know, I don't know anything about therapy, I, I can't use this. And, and I was a little frustrated and I closed the book. And then I saw, oh, that's my old stuff. You know, I had good intention. I wanted to do something nice for you guys, so I thought it should be handed to me on a silver platter. But no, I have to work. Okay, and, and so after a bit I picked up the book again and I looked at it same book, same guy, just a little different attitude. And what the this Buddhist cognitive training was the subtitle. What the title of this chapter is Behaviorism with Heart. Well that's what I work on, my behavior, trying to change my what do we call it? The uh, conditioned behavior responses that cause me suffering. So I'm going to read the first two paragraphs to kick this off chapter 19. Ajahn Chah came from a farming village and he reserved his most plain spoken words for well-educated Westerners who lived mostly in their thoughts. One of Ajahn Chah's Western monks was an Australian named Jim, who repeatedly came and went from the monastery, ordaining and disrobing several times. He was a likable fellow, but he was also obsessed with petty problems and doubts. One of my guys. He decided his hut was too close to the gate, and visitors disturbed him, so he moved to a remote forest monastery. But there the food was bad. <laughs> then he tried a monastery near Bangkok that had good food, but he found there were too many distractions. Returning to Ajahn Chah's monastery, he would pay his respects and recite his latest doubts and dissatisfaction. Nothing was ever quite right. Ajahn Chah watched Jim come and go with some amusement. Then one afternoon, Jim told Ajahn Chah he was planning to move to yet another temple. Surrounded by several other monks, Ajahn Chah pointed to Jim and explained, this fellow has put his monk's bag down in shit, but he doesn't know it. Now, wherever he goes, he says the new place smells bad. <laughs> you know, uh, when I read that, I wondered, 
why did Ajahn Shah say that? And then I had a more interesting question. Why did uh, Jack Cornfield put this as the first two paragraphs in this chapter on behaviorism? I think we can set those questions aside for now, but I think we'll get back to this story a little later on. The behaviorism that this chap behaviorisms that this chapter is addressing are just our usual conditioned reactions that cause suffering, dukkha. Our old friend samsara, our cycling of suffering. And I like Ajahn Sameo's uh, take on this. Uh, I, I, I imagine several of you Several of you are familiar with his book, uh, The Mind and the Way. And for me, it's a sunflower book. It's a book that has the sunflowers on the cover. And what that book is, a transcription of his talk to his Dharma Center in the United Kingdom. Now, Ajahn, the Venerable Ajahn, Tomato, grew up named Bobby in the Seattle area. But now, he's Venerable. And he, he gave this uh, talk to the Sangha about the Four Noble Truths, and particularly the Third Noble Truth, cessation. And so they, they have the transcription of the talk in the book, and then they always have a question or two from the Sangha members. And they're really interesting to read, and I think about the question before I read Ajahn Shah's answer and about uh, the cessation, the question was, when you say the end of suffering, do you mean both mental and physical suffering? That's a good question. How would you answer that? Answer, the suffering that ends is the suffering you create out of ignorance. See, the, the suffering that we experience, the kind of the, the putting down the book, book, it's not about the book. It's about what's going on in here. And it's the same for you all. So how can we work with this dukkha? and realize sensation. Well, here's something. A couple of months ago, I think in the Monday night classes, I heard Mark suggest something different. At least it was different for me to hear. He said something to the effect that perhaps the Buddhas and the teachers know something that we don't know. Whatever. What an idea. Maybe, Mark suggested, we could become willing to try to follow their instructions. We don't have to really believe they know more than we do, 
but we just take it and try to follow the instructions. I don't know if it's a guy thing, but I have a little reluctance to following instructions. Uh, but anyway, I was able to put that aside and as best I could to try uh, to follow the instructions and the teaching. And I've been doing that ever since. And it's really quite revolutionary. I recommend you try it. At another time recently, Mark quoted a Korean uh, priest that lived in the 1100s, name is Chanel, I believe is how it's pronounced. And just a short quote. His quote was, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. Sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. I think that we all receive that. We all receive sudden awakening. Maybe just a little bit of insight as to how we create our own suffering. Now and then. And it's always, oh, that's what that was about. irritated with this book because I thought I'd have to do some work. Ah, the first one that I remember that was really clear for me on this <laughs> was I was driving to work in the morning and I was a little late and I so I'm in a hurry and I'm pushing it. So I'm coming on at Seltzer Boulevard on Lake Street and I'm going to cross over to 28th Street. There are a few blocks past Hennepin and you go up over that viaduct there where the, I think now it's the, the bicycle path is underneath. But when you come up over this bridge, just when I got on the other side, there was a car stopped there right in the middle of the road. And I could not get around her. And the reason she was stopped was up ahead, there was a big uh, semi-truck backing into the lumber store there. Well, there was room to get around, but apparently she didn't want her to do it. And, you know, I'm sitting in my car going, yada, 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 you know, where'd you get your driver's license? And, and, and all of a sudden, I just, out of nowhere, I realized that's not my job. It's not my job to tell other people how to drive. My job is how I conduct myself. And that really struck me. And so when I got home that day, I took a post-it note, and I think I used a marking pen, this was several years ago, and I wrote, it's not my job, and I stuck it up by the uh, mirror on my dresser, so it's big enough that I could see it before I got my glasses on, and every morning when I got up, I saw that, and every night before I went to bed, I saw that, and so I could remember it. You know, and gradually that started to sink in on me. I think that's part of the one way of doing this gradual uh, cultivation, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. And you know, when you think about it, all the Buddhist teachings, you know, there's, there's four noble truths, there's five spiritual faculties, there's seven 
factors of awakening, there's an eightfold noble. They're all numbered. And the reason why is that helps uh, everybody to remember those things. Because they can remember, oh, there's one, two, four, eight, seven, ten. Well, I'm pretty sure if they'd have had post-it notes in the Buddha day, he would have had his followers use them to help them remember. Because mostly, you know, he's exhorting uh, his, uh, his monks, you know, to how they should act. You know, they should uh, pay attention. They should listen carefully. They should memorize. Um, you know, and, and so that, I think, is the gradual cultivation. How can we practice that will transform our conditional behavior? Uh, Dogen, uh, the Zen priest, was born in the year 1200, founder of Sotosan, had the Genjo Cohen, and there's a line in there that says, Flowers fall even though we love them. Weeds thrive even though we dislike them. What that is telling me is just because I want flowers doesn't mean I get them. Just because I dislike weeds doesn't mean they go away. Just because I have a good intention to try to make a smooth transition doesn't mean it's going to happen. So is clear to me. Just wanting, no matter how sincere and how fervent our wanting is, is not enough. I want to tell you about a woman who had a saying. She was a friend of my wife. Her name is Maybell. And this was about 20-some years ago, and I was kind of younger than, I'm past middle age, but I was younger, I was 20 years younger than I am now, and I suppose Mabel was about my age then. So I grew up, I was a little kid in the 40s, in a small farm town. So Mabel must have grown up in the 20s. Well, you didn't go to the stores to get fresh food. Um, in the small town for the most part, fresh vegetables and things like that. You got what was in season. You, know. you didn't have strawberries from California in March. You, didn't, you, know, you don't have all the things that you have today. What you had for the most part was what people produced in their gardens. And it was a lot of work. And and then when the crop came in, they would can what they could. The root crops went in the root cellar, and they kept pretty well. So in the spring, you would have radishes, 
in peace. And as the season went on, we'd get different fresh vegetables. Well, Mabel's, Mabel's saying was, if you pray for potatoes, you'd better grab the hoe. <laughs> she knew what it meant to grab the hoe. Most people back then knew what it meant to go out, weed the garden, uh, to protect it from the varmints, to do everything they had to take care of things, to have their own food. So if you pray for potatoes, you'd better grab the hole. This, you see, what I think is the daily work we must do to cultivate sudden awakening. Okay, the problem. I'm going to read at the beginning of this chapter, there's a quote from the Buddha. Whatever a person frequently thinks and reflects on, that will become the inclination of their mind. Whatever a person frequently thinks and reflects on, that will become the inclination of their mind. And then there's a quote from the Dhammapada. Speak and act from wise thought, from unwise thought, and sorrow will follow you as surely as the wheel follows the ox who draws the cart. Speak and act from unwise thought, and sorrow will follow you as surely as the wheel follows the ox who draws the cart. Speak and act from wise thought, and happiness will follow, follow you as closely as your shadow, unshakable. As surely as the wheel follows the ox who draws the cart. This is an everyday thing. Two quotes say those things that we only cultivate. Oh, yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, also from an agrarian background, and he calls these seeds in the mind. We have wholesome seeds, seeds of generosity, kindness, compassion. We have unwholesome seeds, greediness, anger, ill will, self-pity. We have all these different seeds that are stored away. And he says, whichever seeds you water, those are the seeds that will grow. So. If you act out of anger, time and time again, then that gets stronger. That, that thrives. 
and it becomes more and more difficult if you act out of kindness and and have a way of nurturing that on a daily basis. That grows stronger. The answer, well, the Buddhist teachings on the four exertions. <coughs> there is a case where a monk generates desire, endeavors, activates persistence, upholds and exerts his intent, his intent for, one, the sake of non-arising of evil, unskillful qualities that have not yet risen, the sake of non-arising of that not yet arisen. Two, the sake of abandonment of evil, unskillful qualities that have arisen. That's the second exertion. The third one is the sake of arising of skillful qualities that have not yet arisen. And fourth, the maintenance, non-confusion, increase, plentitude, development, and culmination of skillful qualities that have arisen. So when you have the insight that has arisen, the skillful quality, well, it's not my job to judge, then, then you want to maintain that. I mean, this is what this is saying. Endeavor generate desire, activate persistence, upholds, and exerts intent for it. Another way of approaching that, to answer how we do this, is to get out of our comfort zone. <coughs> Joseph Goldstein, Joseph Goldstein and, uh, and an essay on the uh, five spiritual faculties. Speaking of faith and energy, he does that in these following terms. Yet, it is possible and indeed necessary to nurture a sense of urgency and commitment within ourselves, which then generates energy for discovery. One way that we impose limits on our energy is by settling into comfortable patterns. Comfortable patterns of eating, of sleeping, of relationships, of work. He doesn't say of watching TV or playing computer games, but I could add those to We assume certain boundaries and limits for ourselves and find comfort staying within their familiar confines. But when we are willing to extend beyond these limits, we find great reservoirs of energy available in our lives. A wonderful rediscovery of something that we all know but often forget is that effort creates energy. The very effort involved in doing that creates a feeling of energetic well-being we can experiment to find ways of cultivating effort, not being afraid to push at limits or take some risks. You see, to push the limits and to 
take risks, we have to step out of our comfort zone. Another way to say this is a, a Minnesota guy, he wasn't a Buddhist, Ernie Larson, uh, was a therapist, I guess, and uh, but did a lot of work in a uh, 12-step uh, community. And he wrote a book called Stage 2 Recovery. And what he's, what he's talking about there is that when a person has overcome the addiction to substances, like a, a drug addict being clean or an alcoholic being sober, that doesn't end it. That just is the first step as far as Ernie is concerned. Because they have, in, in the literature that I've read, they have dry drunks, uh, people who were alcoholics, but they're just miserable. And they're miserable to be around, and they're, they don't have any good relationships. And so this is what Ernie calls stage two recovery. And it's, in a way, it's the same thing about our conditioned um, uh, reflex reaction to things that disturb us. He says, to change their behaviors, most people are willing to do what they are comfortable with. To change their behavior. But what is required is a willingness to do whatever it takes. And that's kind of what we face, too, in cultivating our awakenings, our insights. If we're in a habit of sitting for a certain time, you know, and we just go through the motions of that, unless we bring some real strong energy, as Joseph says, kind of step beyond our boundaries, it's not really helping. We're just staying within our comfort zone. Well, I sit for 30 minutes every morning. That's pretty good, huh? I want to come back now to Ajahn Chah's Shah, uh, story uh, about, what was his name? Jack or whoever the guy is. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Let's call him Craig. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, you know, he had his bag and put it down and wherever he went, things smelled bad. You see, what's true about that story, about this poor devil, and I can feel compassion for him because I understand what that's like. If we're used to our own stink, it is less fearful to stay with it than to risk changing, maybe getting cleaned up. I don't know about that. It's a, rather bad metaphor that I don't even want to go to. People are in the serious tank and your best hope, you know, you're up to here and stuff, and your best hope is nobody else makes the waves. It never occurs to you to get out of there. Well, there's a story in the Bible that I love. It's in the book of John. And, uh, what am I doing here? Jesus uh, goes to Jerusalem and they have uh, the baths, the Roman baths there. 
and this one has magical properties. And and when the angel comes and I don't know, puts dust in the water or something like that, people that have a, a, a disease or an ailment, the first one that gets in the water is healed. And uh, so in this story, the guy that Jesus meets in the King James Version says, has lain there 30 and 8 years. 38 years he's been coming to this this spy every day and sitting out in the sun and talking to his buddies. And um, that's a career. You know, I practiced law for just a little over 40 years before I had to close my office. And I thought that was a career. Well, this guy's made a career just, you know, going to this bath. But he can't walk. He's lame. And Jesus appears before him and says, would you be healed? What an interesting question. How do you suppose he answers that? They say, hallelujah, yes. What did he do? No. What he said was, it's not my fault. He said, I don't have a manservant to help me into the water. And so somebody always beats me and I never heal. Poor me, it's not my fault. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if I would have answered it differently if I were in his shoes either because, you know, what if, what if I get healed? Then what am I going to do after 38 years? I can't come back here anymore. You know, that's really kind of a frightening thing. We've got to step outside of our comfort zone. That's what Joseph says. That's what we've got to do if we want to nourish, cultivate these insights we have to transform our lives, to change us from being angry, to change us from being full of self-pity, to change us from being a victim. We have to do something, and we have to do it on a daily basis. What I've been doing for myself the last few months in the practice of, I of course recommend to everybody, and I call it caring for myself practice. This being good to myself practice is really rooted in the wisdom of Mr. Rogers on TV. Yeah. I, when I was a kid, we, they didn't even have TV, much less a Mr. Rogers. But when I was a young father, and Alice and I have just children, and when they were little, Mr. Rogers was on TV. And once in a while, I would be sick, and I'd be home in the bedroom, and the little kids were out in the other room, and I could hear Mr. Rogers, and he always said, I like you just the way you are. And I oh, oh, I wanted to hear those words so bad. I like you just the way you are. So I wake up in the morning. I wake up pretty early, and I open my eyes, and I what day is it? Oh, it's be good to Craig day. 
And so what I do is I smile. Just a, a small smile. When you smile, if you soften up your cheek muscles and the muscles around your eyes, it produces kindness. And so I just give this little small smile, it's imperceptible. It stretch out. Oh, almost 75, I can feel it in my back. I can stretch out my legs. Oh, it feels so good. I'm being good to myself. And I, and I take just a, a few seconds. And, and I do that. And then I get up. And I have two CDs in the living room that I alternate. And one is uh, Cabot Zen, where he does these really mindful, gentle stretches. They're, they're kind of yoga poses, but they're not the real extreme poses. And he always says, you know, don't be competitive with yourself, you know, just as best you can, you know, and don't overdo it. If you feel fatigued, let your arms come down. And of course, I follow those instructions. And, and, and uh, oh, it, it feels good. It, and it makes my body feel good. The other CD is a fairly recent one. It's from Plum Village. And um, it's about 10 minutes. And it's, it's uh, being kind to your organs and your, the parts of your body that do all this work. That you've that willfully I had abused. When we were on a trip uh, this summer out in, um, we went to visit all our kids this last year because I, I was able to do it in Valley. I wanted to do it. It's important to me. And our first stop was in Rapid City, and uh, a grandchild's uh, daughter's uh, six-year birthday was that day. And they had the party for her. And her other grandparents were there. Now, Jerry is about my age, and he has terrible pain. He generally can't go to places. When we've been out there, I invited him and Joan, and, and he usually can't come. He's had his neck fused, and, and he's crying all sorts of things, but he bears terrible pain. And we are, But that night he was there, and, and he says to me out on, the, out on the deck, he says, you know, Craig, when we were young, we thought we were indestructible. And you know, that's exactly what I did. I pushed myself, no pain, no gain. I, my back would hurt sometimes when I was 35. I could hardly stand it, but by golly, I pushed on. It's, it's quite clear to me now from the perspective I was abusive to myself, I was willful. I expected my body to do what I wanted it to do, by golly, and no quarter for me. So now, when, they, when she said, we touch our eyes and, and, and uh, we're grateful for our eyes that have served us all this time, and our heart, a lot of pressure is just to be grateful to your heart that it does its job and your lungs she has the lungs and I got scared because I was afraid she's going to say the pancreas you know and that's where I had that cancerous tumor I so I don't think I can be grateful to that but, but I was okay but she skipped that she went to the liver <laughs> she went to the liver you know don't we just take our liver for granted but boy oh boy I have a a good friend, we meet once a week, and he goes to dialysis for four hours, three times a week. You know. 
So, anyway, this practice is just kindness and gratitude. My feet, my knees, I owe some gratitude. They served me well. Now, let's see how this is going to end. Oh, yeah, when I wake up in the morning, it'll be good to Craig today. Yesterday, yesterday something came I woke I always wake up before my wife. And I don't know where this came from. I said, oh, what day is it today? It's be good to Alice today. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I like, and then, then it just follows. Be good to ever, to whomever I encounter today. Oh man, what a wonderful day! Instead of instead of fighting, you know, with Alice about I get the better cup of tea or you know all that crap I do, you know. Ah, thank you, dear. Thank you for cutting up the fruit. You know, <laughs> I just felt so much better. I don't. I suppose you know, it was a little weird. I don't know. <laughs> Well, anyway, to line this up, to cultivate, to cultivate the seeds, the insight to transform the unwholesome responses to more wholesome responses, we need to do daily practice. But we don't have to be perfect. Doing it the best we can is good enough. But doing the best we can is pretty demanding too. Again, I turn to Mr. Rogers for the proper attitude for doing the best we can. Here's what he says. Some days doing the best we can may still fall short of what we would like to be able to do. But life isn't perfect on any front. And doing what we can with what we have is the most we should expect of ourselves or of anyone else. Isn't that beautiful? We can take this attitude of doing the best we can to our daily practice of watering the wholesome seed, to cultivating our sudden insight, to the practice of the four exertions, and to when we pray for potatoes, to know that we will grab bristles. At the end of the talk, it's time for comments, or hopefully comments, and maybe just a question.
represents what? I can't quite hear what. It's like one with effortlessness. Even though it is, it is uh, it's going beyond boundaries or apparent boundaries. Uh, it's the ego that sees this whole thing of, of I need to make this big effort and I'm going to make all this stuff happen. So there it doesn't happen through the ego. So it's kind of like you uh, sort of, uh, you know, you do go beyond boundaries, but then you find uh, that, you know, get to the continuums that, that are uh, sort of effortless and that's a very good point and 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 that's partly my understanding too is that initially there has to be a certain willfulness uh, to initiate the effort which you know could come out of ego or uh, a self uh, sense of self to, to initiate to get the ball rolling and then, and then once that effort gets started, and uh, and I, and I heard Mark describe it this way: after it gets going, then we're on uh, cruise control for a while, and it, it just sustains itself without the um, without the sense of willfulness. It just um, it just—it is like, as you say, you, know, you can almost describe it as effortlessness uh, effort. You know, it just—it just. It just um, it's important to see why that is. I mean, there's this whole thing in Buddhism about there is no viewer. Yeah, right. So, I mean, uh, you know, this is a fundamentally case. It's not going to be partial like that. Please, I mean, there's there's a truth. I mean, you're already right now the energy. Uh, you know, uh, you know there's, there's an apparent process that's moving toward it, whatever there is, but that's apparent to you. I mean, that's like uh, why they call that illusion, you know, for the, you know, the delusion of Maya. You know, the reason that there's even a journey to be taken, etc. Which, which it doesn't make sense to the mind ever. It's kind of a strange logic. 
might be apparently like that, but it inspires you to the whole thing. It is what it is. It's a spirit. I think so, um, and, 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 and I do remember, you know, when the Buddha went after the quest uh, about self to, to one guy, and, and when he left, you know, and now to say, why didn't you answer him? He said, well, if I told him there was no self, then he would go to annihilation, and I mean, and if I would have told him himself, then he would, uh, yeah, so, so there, there is a, uh, as I understand it, the, the skillful teachers will help tailor uh, their instruction to the uh, needs of the individual students at any point in time. And, and uh, yeah. Well, that was like in the uh, in the guided meditation, I guess that knowing, you know, sometimes it's, I, I know I breathe in, and I just drop that I know off to knowing. Yeah. Uh, my, my whole thing that I got from it, when you said, Mr. Ronald Klein, I like you just the way you are, um, it's when you have that confidence in yourself, that's when I think, let yourself be, and you can take those chances. When you have that confidence in yourself, and when you accept yourself for who you are, you have flaws and all. Yeah, but it, it, it is a gradual process getting there. And, you know, and that's what, in that reading of Joseph Goldstein, he says you can experiment with, with that, you know. And maybe you're, you don't have that confidence yet, but, but confidence can, can build up, but actually by trial and error, by... But isn't that part of wisdom? Like, if you get older, you learn from your mistakes? Yeah, yeah. Everything I value, I've learned through trial and error, absolutely. Yeah. Not by figuring it out. I thought, when I was young, I thought I had to figure things out. I think we all Cool, thank you. more comments and questions, but it kind of fits into your waking up and something Mark said from a week or so ago. Um, I, I had lunch with some friends uh, this afternoon, and we were talking about sort of this notion of a kind of a, a, a good thing, um, memory, or a, a, some way of starting our days recalling something good and um, about ourselves or what have you. And, and this person was talking about how, you know,
for the morning when I can't say, you know, be good to Rob today because Rob doesn't deserve it. You know, some kind of passion. Bob deserves compassion. <laughs> One of the most, well, I guess, thank you. Thank you. Any, any further comments? Yes. I'm sorry, what? Find the balance between 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.